Whose side are you on? We are continuing a series that we've been now, can you believe it, three weeks uh, talking through our trending series. And I'm excited today because uh, the topic is every bit as important as where we have been the last couple weeks. However, not quite as heavy. So I'm excited today to jump in uh, as we continue our series called Trending. For those of you who are just catching up, our series Trending is all about looking at today's trending topics, the things that are pressing hardest against all of us as human beings. And we've been asking the question, what does God's word have to say to the topics of the day? Believing that God's word doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not budging or moving on his opinion or who he is. And so it's our job as believers to look at the word and reconcile it to our world, not reconcile the world to God's word. Amen? It's our, it's our job to, to say, God, you speak and will follow. And so we've been doing that for the last couple weeks in our series. And today I want to talk about the culture wars. I want to talk about the culture wars. In case you haven't noticed, uh, things in our world are, are pretty intense. Um, pretty intense. Like there is a lot of animosity. There's a ton of factions and fractions and tribes and groups and people groups. And there's all kinds of warfare between all of these groups all the time. I don't know if you've noticed this. I mean, just this week even, I was reading the, reading the Telegraph Journal and I read an article that, uh, that put Chipman on the map. I don't know if you read this or not, the great metropolis of Chipman, New Brunswick. Uh, but someone decided to, to raise a straight pride flag this, this, this week in Chipman. Hey, we're gonna even the score and we're gonna raise a straight pride flag because we're the straight team and we're gonna make sure everyone knows we're straight and we have rights too. And that's what, so they raised the straight, straight pride flag, I guess. And, and that, and then of course, as you would imagine, uh, the internet just took that with great ease, just as cool as can be. Just brushed it right off. Oh, good for them. No, no. In fact, there was a lot of reaction to the intolerance of the straight pride flag. In fact, there was quite a bit of intolerance back at the intolerance of the straight straight pride flag. All this to say, we live in quite the time. We live in quite the time where, where there are sides and there are wars going back and forth. And, and as a believer, I don't know if you've ever had this thought before, but sometimes it's hard for me to navigate and, and know, okay, whose side am I on? Like, what team am I on? Like, how do, how do I, whose side am I on? Never before have there been more sides, Correct. Like never before. It used to be not that complicated. Like there was, there was like uh, just a few kind of factions of people, but generally it's like people. And now we got like me too and men too and conservatives and liberals and sectarians and libertarians and vegetarians and librarians and fascists and racists and anti-fascists and Fox News and CNN and MSNBC and then Canada Post and Democrats and Republicans and Tories and Green Party and Alliance and got the L and the G and the B and the T and the Q and the R and the S and the U and the V and the plus and the two communities. Got mankind and People kind. 
I can't even say it with a straight face. I can't even say people kind with a straight face. Anyway, we got human kind and her kind and female kind and not so kind and anonymous and black lives matter and all lives matter and kneel down when the national anthem's going. No, stand up. Feminists and intersectionality and equalists and botanists and <laughs> team Habs and team Leafs and team Trudeau and team Trump. We just, you ever like just think you're going to go crazy and your head's going to pop? Watch TV for 20 minutes. You'll, you'll know what I mean. Yeah, like the things are intense and, and never before there's been more, more teams and more sides and never before has it been more costly to choose a side. Like things are personal. Things are volatile to say the least. In fact, getting violent in areas, even in politics where things used to, where, where it demanded civility. That even though we could disagree, we could do it civilly, that, that is virtually out the window. I don't know if you're paying attention or not, but civility is virtually out the window where it is getting outright violent. Like it is intense because the moment that you disagree, we now live in a day and age that if you're there and I'm here, we can't be friends. If we have different opinions, then, then I'm coming at you and you're coming at me and that's just how it's going to be. This is the war, the war that we live in. This is the world that we live in. And so the question I want to ask today is what do we as Christians, how do we see it? How do we see it? Where do we land on, on the culture wars? How do we kind of navigate through it? And I mean, there are thousands of them, but, but are we Team Trump or Trudeau? Isn't that a funny, like how Canada and the U.S. have like these two representatives that could not be more different? Like you got the make America great again. You got the drama teacher and somewhere in between there. Like it's amazing. We having fun yet? Are, are we liberal or are we conservative? Where do, where do we land? Are we CNN or Fox News? What do I watch? Like, have you ever, can, yeah, East, West, yeah, have you ever felt that? Like, I don't even know what to believe anymore. Because it's not, it's not as simple as if you watch the news or you, if you're, if you're on CNN, they make it sound really simple based on their opinion that they're being paid to promote. Or if you're on Fox News, they make it sound very simple too, based on their opinion that they're also being paid to promote. And it's very difficult to know, like, what is the truth? It's not that simple. Like, even a couple weeks ago, you remember the whole Brett Kavanaugh thing? You know, you've got women who are advocating for, for like, for women's rights, and I get that, and I don't want to live in a world either where someone can, can commit rape and, and just go and hold one of the highest offices in the land, but it's not that simple. I don't want to live in a world that just throws due process out the window and says, if I accuse you of something, you're automatically guilty. If you didn't feel the tension in that, you weren't paying attention. It is not simple. And so here's the question. How do we as believers navigate the sides? Whose side are you on? And to do that, I want to look at this quirky little story that, that you can almost read over in Joshua chapter 5 to get a new framework, to actually get a lens that's going to help us understand how to navigate this world. To give you some context to what was going on before Joshua had this encounter with the commander of the Lord's army, and many people believe that this was actually like a pre-incarnate Christ, 
that in fact, this was Jesus himself showing up. Now, there's no way to quantify that other than this is another type of Christ you see all through the Old Testament. There are various times where a figure that is like a son of man or a figure that is the commander of the Lord's army, there are, there are times where you see Jesus show up of sorts. And this is one of those times, whether it actually is Jesus or someone on his behalf speaking for the Lord, we aren't sure, but we know this, that Joshua had just completed one of the great tasks in the history of Israel. The Israelites have been walking and wandering around the desert for 40 years. And finally, God raises up Joshua, and they actually crossed that final barrier that had kept them from the promise that God had given them. They crossed the Jordan River, and here they are in the promised land, and Joshua just led the entire community of Israel to just this new level of consecration. He actually had all the men be circumcised all at once. I was thinking, was that a quiet few days or was that a really whiny few days? I don't know. I, I would suspect whiny. I, I would milk that. Oh, right? So he has them all circumcised in this great and holy act to prepare for the next phase of their battle, what was going to be the greatest battle that they were about to face. They had to go into the city of Jericho, the greatest city of that day, with fortified walls, and it was Jericho that they were about to attack next to take the land that God had promised them. And so you got to get your head in the mind of Joshua. Joshua is focused. Joshua is just, he is plotting the course, and he is ready to take names and kick butt, and he's about to go in and and fight the God's fight. And, and we find this amazing thing happens where Joshua's paradigm gets blown up. Joshua is under some assumptions and he has this conversation with the commander of the Lord's army and all of a sudden he is reset. It's like he, see, he sees things more clearly and differently. Look at this. Let's read it one more time. It says, now Joshua was near Jericho and he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up and asked, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for my servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for this place where you are standing is holy. Whose side are you on, he asked. And the commander does not give him the answer that you would think he would give. In fact, I suspect Joshua may have been taken aback before he had this revelation of who he was talking to. He says, neither. I'm not on a side. I don't have a side. There's my side and everybody else's. I don't have a side. And Joshua has his presuppositions and prejudices and his opinion blown to bits like one moment he's coming in, he's saying, I'm the good guys, there's the bad guys, this is the territory and we're about to take it. And then he has this encounter with God's representative and we find he's just reset. I want to give you four things in sort of what is a framework for us to be able to start navigating the culture wars. There's no way I could take them one by one and talk, you know, city by city and town by town and and issue by issue. I couldn't do that. But what we can do today is look at the word of God and look at even Joshua's reaction and to create a lens for ourselves that allows us to start thinking differently about the world that we live in. This is, I believe, what Paul meant in Romans 12, where he said, therefore, in view of God's mercy, 
Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is, this is real worship, he said. And then he says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know God's will as you change how you think. Your life will change as you change how you think. What's he talking about? He's talking about there's a way to see things. There is a paradigm that God has. As you live this consecrated life, as you follow Jesus, there is a paradigm that actually brings insight so that we can know God's will. I think sometimes we think God's will is more mysterious than it actually is. That sometimes God actually wants to give us the mind to think like him. That God's not holding as many secrets as we think he is, that maybe God wants to actually renew how we think so we can think like he thinks. And so I want to just look at four things. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. How do we see the world? And how do we navigate the question of whose side are we on? Here's the frame I want to kind of paint for you today or put together. Number one is this in our frame. The first side I want to talk about is this. When we look at the world and we navigate this question of whose side are we on, the first thing you've got to understand is this, that our kingdom, the kingdom that we are a part of, is actually someplace else that the kingdom that we are a part of is actually someplace else. Joshua got this kind of dose of reality. And, and I think this can happen ever so subtly when we follow Jesus and we are people of faith, is it's very easy to start thinking that, that and you wouldn't say it like this, but you operate like this, that God is on my side. That God exists to promote my agenda. Now you think you're thinking I'm here for God's agenda, but, but everything else is saying otherwise. And I think Joshua was confronted by this reality. He's about to run into Jericho. He's going to take, take it down in, in the name of Yahweh. And then he has this encounter with the commander of the Lord's army. And he says, well, whose side are you on? Expecting to hear, well, your side, of course. But he didn't, did he? Said no one's. There's God's side and everybody else's side. And you're all either on it or not. I'm not interested in your side or their side, Jericho's side or Israel's side. Here's what I'm doing in the world. Here's how my kingdom's coming. You can get in or get out, get on board or get off. And it's super important for us as believers to make sure that when we see the world, the lens through which we look is not one that we are trying to get God into our world to conform to our ways of thinking, to conform to our agendas. But in fact, we are conforming to his way of thinking, to his agenda, to his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. Preaching better than you're acting. Just saying, West, thank you. East, thank you. I can feel those amens. I feel it. No, it's, it happens so subtle, doesn't it? Where we start to think, hey, our church, our church, we're just here. We're just, we're, we're, we're out there doing the mission of God. And, but, but subtly what can happen is we start, to, we start to shift in our thinking where we no longer exist for the glory of God, but God might exist for the glory of us. And that's a very different thing. I, I, this is one of my favorite ways to think about it. Um, my wife has two cats. She loves them. <laughs> um, and if you any, any cat people here west east locations raise your hand uh, any dog people alright I don't know if you've noticed or not but there's a big difference between the way dogs and cats think you can do the same exact thing for a dog and a cat and they're going to interpret it two different ways you can Feed a dog, 
walk the dog, take the dog, you know, running. You can take it to the vet and take care of it. You even be one of these freaky people who like brushes its teeth and gives it pedicures and puts little sweaters on it. You can do your thing. And you can look after the dog and, and just do all the things for the dog. And the dog is going to come to the conclusion, <laughs> you're awesome. This whole thing must revolve around you because you're amazing. You take care of me, you pet me, you groom me, you feed me, you walk me, you're awesome. You can do the same thing for a cat. You can walk the cat, don't do that, you're just weird. You put sweaters on the cat, you can feed the cat, you clean up the cat's poop and pee, it barfs on your new carpet, not... You do all those things for the cat, same exact things, and the cat's going to have a different conclusion. You feed me, you clean up after me, you take me for walks, even when that's weird. I'm awesome. This whole thing must revolve around me. You live to support my agenda. And I'll tell you what, that happens in our lives as we think of God. Let me tell you that how easily I can shift into thinking that God exists to promote my family and to promote my business and to promote my agenda and to promote this or that. And, and in, in many ways, he does. God is a God who blesses. God is a God of promotion and increase. I absolutely believe that, but make no mistake about it. His world does not revolve around you. It's your world that needs to revolve around his. And so when we see the world, we see a kingdom. We see a king and a kingdom. We see this whole other reality that, that exists and that, that affects how we see things. We don't, we don't see ourselves through the same old lens. We don't see the world through the same old lens. We see that this is God's world and the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And he has agendas and things that he's trying to do. And we are invited to be a part of it. We don't see ourselves as we used to. We, we align ourselves with God's side. It's not about, is it, is it their side or our side? Is it you or is it us? It's him and are we with him or not? This is what Jesus taught us to pray. Did you ever pray the Lord's Prayer? Did you know you're praying this? Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in all the ways that we're supposed to, to look to the world and understand things, it's to understand that we need to align ourselves with what God is doing in the earth. We are, we are people who are of a different kingdom. We're from a different place, sent to be representatives. We're culture carriers. Did you know that? Did you know that we're supposed to be the people that when we go into places, we actually bring the essence of the kingdom with us? Like wherever we go, this is what the word apostle means. You've heard that word in church possibly. Originally, apostle was a term that the Romans used to send a high officer, high-ranking officer into a different part, uh, into a conquered territory. Their job was to bring the culture of Rome into new places. It's a sent person. That's who we are as believers. We exist to bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. You, you exist to bring God's will and God's desire on earth as it is in heaven. That's why we're here. We are a part of a different kingdom. And that will make us very different. Did you know that you're an immigrant? You're an alien? You're a foreigner? That, that this world is not your home? Like, look what, look what Peter says. 1 Peter 2 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. 
Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves to, for the Lord's sake. Look at that. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether the emperor to, as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right, for it is God's will. So again, we live under God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. What a, did you just listen to what I read? That's a peculiar person, isn't it? I'm a free slave. I'm a God-honoring person, so I honor all authority. I'm, I live such a peculiar life that you're going to accuse me of doing evil and then you're going to look closer and you're going to say, actually, maybe there is a God. We're peculiar people. You're supposed to stand out. You're part of a different kingdom. You're from a different place. That's what it means to be a believer. You aren't supposed to fit nice and neat and tidy in the culture. It affects how we see ourselves. It affects how we see the kingdom. It affects how we see the church. Here's the deal. What it means when we start seeing the world through kingdom lens, a heavenly lens, is it means that our desire is to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? That's why we're here. And if, if I do my job in my family, that people are going to see Jesus. If I do my job as a husband, people are going to see Jesus. If I do my job as a father, hopefully people see Jesus. If we do our job as King's Church, people are going to see Jesus. Do you know that we're trying to work ourselves out of a name? We're trying to work ourselves out of a job. The way I read my Bible is in Revelation 7, Revelation 21, it says, I saw every tribe, tongue, and na people, and nation. It doesn't say every denomination, every church. Hey, there's King's Church. No, it's one church, one Lord, one kingdom that we're a part of. And we are, we are called to actually promote that. So it's a kingdom framework. What else? Number two, if you're taking notes, write this down. Uh, another part of our frame is this. Um, our enemy is something else. So the kingdom we're part of and what we're promoting, what we're working for is something else. It's not our own kingdom. It's not our own empire. It's not our own name. It's the kingdom of God. It's, it's heaven on earth. And also we see things differently in this way, that, that our enemy is something else. Look, at, look again at Joshua. He asked him, whose side are you on? Are you for us or are you for our enemies? And he said, neither can you imagine like what a kind of dose of cold water that would have been for Joshua? Because up until this point, Joshua was under the, upper, under the assumption that, hey, we're the good guys. I'm the good guy. I'm on the good team. They're the bad guys. And we're coming to, to, to beat the bad guys down. And, and Joshua gets this confrontation where his paradigm blows again, where this whole like us versus them thing, them thing is not how God thinks. There's, again, God's side and everyone else's. This, this has major implications for how you see people. This has major implications for how you see the world. I mean, the world we live in right now, think about like the tribalism in our world right now. What's tribalism? It's that kind of utter commitment to your people group. Everybody is a community, right? Like the, the vegan community and the LGBTQ plus two community and the... The, the church community and this community, factions and fractions all the time. And people are tribalistic about it. So much so that they're not even listening to one another, are they? 
Like I read an article this week that that within the own within the kind of the left political spectrum, you've got people like you've got you've got uh, radical feminism going right now. You've got uh, the transgender movement happening, and it's interesting that right there in that what we would say in kind of that same kind of liberal section of politics and of the socioeconomic fabric, you've got these two groups that actually don't don't get along. You got feminists actually saying, "Hey, you're not women." And you got trans people saying, hey, we're going to be who we want to be, and they don't even like each other. So we got these kind of tribes and these factions, and I'll tell you something, it is toxic. It is toxic right now in this world that we live in. And here's the thing we understand as Christians, that when it comes to how we see it, we don't see people as our enemy. We don't see people as our enemy. It's not gay pride or straight pride or MAGA, make, make America great again. Right? We're not like, when we follow Jesus, he blows up the teams. Do you know that? It's team Jesus, y'all. And that's it. Like the, the lines, Jesus, did you, did you ever read the gospels? Jesus blew up all the lines. And people, people that were the most committed to the lines hated it. Like they couldn't categorize him. He's super righteous and he's wise and yet he's hanging out with drunkards and gluttons and they're calling him a friend of sinners. He's got a posse with a bunch of ex-hookers. Like he, I mean, he was not fitting into the mold at all. And religious people hated it. He wasn't dealing, he wasn't playing the hierarchy game. He wasn't playing the socioeconomic game. It was almost as if he was here as, uh, as truth himself and he was calling everybody else to be part of it. And, and he really was not playing the games that you and I play. Like at one point he said, uh, you know, he said in, in Matthew 12, he said, whoever is not for me is against me. What's he saying? Is he picking on someone? No, he's promoting himself saying, I'm here, get on board. And then another time, uh, the disciples came to Jesus and like, Jesus, Jesus, the bad guys are using your name and they're casting out demons. Like, they're not even your followers. And Jesus like, I don't care. It's like, who, that doesn't matter, doesn't matter to me. He, he goes, who's, ever, who's never not against us is for us. Like, wait, what? I thought they're the bad guys. No, I'm the good guy. Y'all are the bad guys. Come on in. That's the message of the gospel. If you're a Christian, you believe there's one good guy. His name is Jesus. And you believe all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you follow a savior. You follow someone who came to rescue us and pay, give his life as ransom for us. That's the gospel. How on earth can we hold to the cross and point at other people? Because the cross, it, it, it villainizes you. It implicates you. It says you're bad too. You're the bad guy. Jesus is the good guy. Now, when you see people... You see, you don't see an enemy. As believers, we understand something, that, that people are not our enemy, and we recognize our real enemy. Our real enemy is not flesh and blood. This is what Paul was talking about, Ephesians 6. Anybody remember that? It's like, you know, uh, Ephesians 6 is finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand, and having done all, stand. And then he says, uh, for our struggle, our war is not against flesh and blood. What's that? What's he mean? People. It's against what? Powers and principalities of darkness. Listen, church, there is a Satan. There are demons. 
There are spirits and principalities. And if you don't believe that, you're not looking close enough. There is stuff going on beneath the surface that is actually causing all the dysfunction and fracture, all the fracturing and all the difficulty and all the toxicity. It's spiritual powers. And so we as believers, our job is to see our real enemy. Amen? Our job is to see the real enemy, to realize that people aren't the enemy. Listen, every time you say a Muslim is the enemy, you're not, you're not thinking with the mind of Christ. A Muslim is not the enemy. The religious spirit is the enemy. Right? Everybody at Seaside, right? You know, the rich people, they're our enemy. The poor people, they're our enemy. No, 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 no. The, the poverty spirit is the enemy. Now, liberals and conservatives, liberals are the enemy if, if the crude oil and the freaking carbon tax and the, yeah, right? Or no, conservatives and blah, no. Not the enemy. The political spirit is the enemy. Yeah. We see through. We see through and we see there's actual forces going on. And here's the deal. God has given us equipment to do war. That's another topic for another day. But you got to see, like put on the framework of the kingdom and realize when I'm looking at a person who's breathing and has a heartbeat, not my enemy. Sometimes people get caught in the crossfire. Sometimes people fly planes into buildings. And it's unfortunate, but we grieve that and we get aggravated and angry at the spiritual lies and the demons that have caused that to happen. Listen, God didn't make hell for people. Did you know that? God made hell for Satan and, his, and demons and people are getting caught up in that. So us as believers, we see things different. We see people are not our enemy. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I got to hurry up. I hope this is helping some people. Guys, I want to give you a lens. I want to give you a lens to see the world. You see a kingdom. You see a king. You see, you see people as not God's enemy, but that God came to redeem and restore and save. Number three, if you're taking notes, write this down. I gave myself less time today because I wanted to keep it moving. Number three, our authority is someone else. Our authority is someone else. Joshua gets it. He figures it out. He has a moment where he's humbled and he's reminded, hey, I'm not the boss and Israel is not the boss and Israel is just an instrument. And he has this moment where verse 14, so he says, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the Lord's army, I've now come. And then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Key word in there is Lord. We serve a Lord. What does that have to do with seeing the world? Well, the world that we are a part of and the culture wars that you are a part of are all the struggle. It's all the struggle of different hierarchical systems. It's, it's, it's governance. It's politics. It's economics. All of those things are fighting one another. And there are a bunch of different ways that human beings since day one have tried to see prosperity happen and see things happen. But the thing is, we just can't get along on it. You know, some people believe in an anarchy system. No one's in charge. Just follow your heart, man. You do you and I'll do me. And let's all be happy. Imagine, right? Imagine all the people. Dumbest, dumbest song ever. Anyway. Nice song, nice song, not a smart. Anyway, got to move on. 
I didn't even know where I was going with that. I was like, I'm pumping the brakes in my mind, pumping the brakes, stop. <laughs> what was I talking? Oh yeah, anarchy, anarchy. Let's see, that's what happens when you just follow your heart. Things go wrong, right? I'm off, my, I'm off the rails already. Anarchy, then there's, then there's uh, you know, there's a monarchy, meaning one ruler, uh, a, a monarch, a ro- royalty so that, can, that can roll down into a dictatorship. You have uh, oligarchy. You're learning stuff in church. Oligarchy is where there are a few rulers. You know, you have, you have the, but they, they aren't elected. They are placed there. There's a few people that are over top of everyone else. And then you have what we are part of, and that is a democracy. And democracy has many people governing. And then within a democracy, you, you have it kind of, there are kind of polarized thoughts of how that even works, right? You have people out here on the right that are, are very much uh, conservative in nature, and that can fly out into uh, a propensity to not care about maybe the, the down and out. Um, it can actually roll into fascism. Um, that's what Nazi Germany was. That was the right wing going real right. And then you can also have, you have on the other end of things, you have socialism. You have liberalism that can roll into socialism, that can actually go into communism. That's what kind of like communist Russia, that's like, that's what happens when it goes real left. And we actually live somewhere like in this kind of tug of war of these kind of human uh, hierarchies. And, And here's the deal though, as believers, we don't actually subscribe to any particular political system. I'm thankful for democracy. Let me state, state that. However, I don't follow a system. I follow a someone. Saying stuff. I don't subscribe to a party. I follow a person. His name is Jesus. And so if I'm, if I'm voting and if I'm exercising my right, which I should and you should, I'm doing it in Jesus' name. I'm really doing it because Jesus is my president. Jesus is my prime minister. Jesus is my premier. Like I follow Jesus. And, and to be Christian is actually to see Jesus as the ultimate authority in your life. He's a Lord, y'all. He is a Lord. He rules forever and ever. Look at these scriptures. Joshua or uh, Isaiah 9, for a child will be born to us. This isn't just a Christmas this isn't just a Christmas passage. Look at it. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. It's not a group. It's not a few people. It's one person. And the entire governance of the kingdom rests on the shoulders of Jesus. And his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government. Ah. Or of peace. He actually knows what he's doing. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold, up, uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. That's who we serve. Right now, Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our Lord. We serve a someone in Daniel 7. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him in his dominion. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. He's not on a term. He doesn't have an election coming up. He doesn't have to campaign for it. He doesn't have to garner your votes. 
He doesn't have to rule with an iron fist. He's greater than that. He sits on the throne forever and ever and ever. And we voluntarily follow him. This is the amazing thing. It's like we are free and we're slaves. What do you mean by that? I mean that Jesus is not a dictator, but he rules. And we have on our own free will, we've seen the cross. We've seen that he didn't consider equality with God as something to grasp, but instead he gave up his divine privileges. And this is the king that we serve. And he came from heaven to earth. He gave up his glory and he gave up the high place to take on the low place. And he took on flesh for our behalf. And he bore our death and our sin and our shame on the cross. And he rose again in victory. And he calls us all to know him and love him and be found in him and fulfilled in him. And so we follow him voluntarily, not because he's the lesser of two evils, not because like, well, I don't know, voting blue or red. No, I, I choose Jesus. I follow him voluntarily and I give my life to him. What he says goes. No arguments. So there's the reaction, almost the reaction within the kingdom as though he is a, a, a monarch and a dictator, however, we are free to choose how we want, and we choose to follow Jesus. We choose to be obedient. Isn't that different than the world that we live in? We're free slaves. We're both, we're both like capitalists and like socialists, aren't we? Like we serve a king, we serve a someone. Listen, we don't serve a party or a platform. We serve a person and it takes shape after him. And I serve a king who, who looked out for the least of these, who said, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done unto me. He looks out for the poor. He cares about the poor. He wants equality. Everyone's invited. I also serve a king who said, I will return to you what you invest. And so, I, I, so we're also capitalists. And it doesn't fit neat and tidy into the systems of our day. And that's, there's a reason for that. It's because it takes the shape of a person named Jesus. We follow a someone. I'm preaching, y'all, and you aren't even really letting me know. We won't fit. All this to say, your politics will not, should not fit neatly into one party line. Take the shape of a person named Jesus. And he wears a, he wears a crown. You have a king. It elicits a response out of you that says, yes, my Lord, like Joshua. We won't fit. I think about the church. Like think about the first church. Think about the church even today. Like we don't really fit left or right. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but we don't. Like from day one, the church has been, you know, we talk about the left. The church has been anti-military, anti-violence, pro-women, pro-racial reconciliation, pro-poor people. Uh, that, that's all very liberal. Like that's very much the, the liberal agenda. They're, they're, they promote those things. And we can sign off and say, yep. And there's a bunch of stuff that the, the left promotes and we're like, nope. Not going to be able to do it. And then you look, and, and same thing on the right. From day one, the, the, the right, uh, the, church, the church has been pro-life, anti-abortion, anti-infanticide. Uh, from day one, the church has forbade uh, sex outside of marriage. Uh, it's condemned certain sexual acts from day one. That all sounds pretty conservative, doesn't it? And then there are some things within the conservative, within the right, that we're like, nope, not going to be able to do it. Why? It's just not going to fit, y'all. All that to say, you're not going to fit. So when you see things, when you see the world, you, you, see, you see the government structures, and you, and you look, like when you vote, you look for the thing that's going to please Jesus the most. That's it. That's what you do.
You look for the, you vote for the candidate that's going to please Jesus the most. You vote for the candidate or the party that's going to bring the most kingdom culture value into the world. You're always voting kingdom. You're always voting Jesus. Always. Amen? All right, last thought. I'm going to be done. Number four. Ban, you can come back. I hear you sneaking around back there. Number four. Here's the last piece of the frame. Our hope is somewhere else. When we see the world, we look through the frame, and we have God renew our minds. Our hope is actually somewhere else. What do I mean by that? I mean, let me, let me give a story. This has happened more than once and more than once in recent history where I'll be on my computer and reading articles and catching up on world events and listening to the news and reading the paper, although it's digital. I don't do it like my dad. My dad, you know, the old school paper, right? I, I just do it on my iPad, but I'm reading. I'm still reading the news. And there are times where I just get overwhelmed. You ever like watch CNN or Fox News or anything in between? Do you not just get overwhelmed? You watch PBS even, and as chill as they are, it's still overwhelming. And there's been times where I've literally had to close my laptop and shut off the TV and remind myself, I'm thankful that no matter what happens, that no matter how things track in North Korea, no matter who wins the midterm election or who, who's going to be in the Senate or who's in you know, the, the, the Supreme Court or if Trudeau gets the carbon tax through or if uh, Blaine Higgs and, and Brian Gallant get in a fist fight, like no matter how all that works out, I sometimes have to close my laptop and remind myself at the end of the day, my hope isn't here anyway. My hope is not in whether Canada will get it right. My hope is not in whether America will be made great again. My hope is in Jesus, who is a risen king and a coming king. And there is a day where he will return. And you won't make any mistake about it, who's in charge. And like we read earlier, there will be no end to the increase of his governance. And it will be amazing. So sometimes it's just good to remind yourself when you look at things, you look at the world, you look at the events of the world, you just remind yourself, oh God, thank you that you're in charge. Jesus, thank you that you're coming again. I look, I look, I look at the world and I see some pretty messed up things, but I got to frame it in and remind myself that my hope is not in this world. My hope is not in this world. My hope is not in this world. It is in Jesus. This is what Jesus meant in John 16 where he's talking to his disciples. He said, listen, in this world, you will have troubles. You wonder if in the back of his mind, he knew that like Trudeau and Trump would be premier and prime minister, prime minister and president. In this world, you will have troubles. So if it was Kim Jong-un flashing in Jesus's mind, it's like y'all don't even know. In this world, you will have troubles. You know what? Like the government's not going to cooperate with your, with your agenda. There's going to be things that don't go your way. There's going to be situations and circumstances you wish you could change. There's going to be things that you see on TV that make you shudder. You're going to someday, you're going to see a plane fly into the World Trade Center. And then a few seconds later, you're going to see another plane fly into the World Trade Center. You're going to see wars and rumors of wars. You're going to see earthquakes. You're going to see tsunamis. You're going to see all kinds of stuff. You're going to see and have troubles, but he said, take heart. 
take heart, for I have overcome the world. See, I see someone, I see, I see, I see my hope is not here. My hope is not in this world. My hope is not in the president. My hope is not in the premier. My hope is not in politics. My hope is in a person. His name is Jesus. And he's coming again. This is why the first Christians, they would, they would greet each other. They had this word. They would say, Maranatha. They'd say, Maranatha. You know what that means? It means, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And they would say that to one another. And you think about the first Christians like, Y'all, we got it good. We have it good. The first Christians were getting martyred and executed and chased out of their homes. It was intense to be a Christian. And they would greet each other with this greeting. They'd say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Why? To remind themselves that my hope is not in th- my hope is not is not in this. My hope is not in Rome. My hope is not in in today. My hope is not in what I see. My hope I don't fix my eyes on what is seen. I fix my eyes on what is unseen. For these light and momentary afflictions will pale in comparison to the to the glory that God has in store for us. So my hope is not here. They say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. They'd look up. They'd remind themselves, my hope is in Jesus. That's some good news. Amen. I don't know who I'm preaching to. Someone needs to hear that today. You are rooting for something to happen and I hope it does. I hope it breaks your way. I hope you have a breakthrough. But at the end of the day, close the laptop, remind yourself, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He's coming again. There's gonna be a day where there's no more weeping or mourning or crying. There's no more war, no more pain, no more sickness. This is who we serve and this is what we look forward to. I, uh, I don't like spoilers, but in life, I recommend reading the end of the book all the time. Revelation 21, just remind remind yourself what we hope for. Stand with me at all of our locations. I'm going to pray for us. Lord, the day we live in is complicated and it is toxic. The winds of culture are howling. The sands of culture and values are shifting. The rain is pouring. But God, I thank you today that we have built our lives and we are building our lives on the rock that will never, ever, ever move. Thank you, Lord, that we are building a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Your kingdom cannot be shaken no matter what. You've overcome the world. There is no power that is greater than you, Jesus. Your kingdom cannot be shaken. And so today, God, we remind ourselves that it's your kingdom. Yours is the glory forever and ever. Forgive us for the times when we put ourselves in that center position and convince ourselves that you're on our side. Forgive us of that, Lord. Forgive us of the times where we look at people as though they're our enemy and we forget that we're all the bad guy and you're the good guy. Thank you, Jesus, that you're the good guy and you call us all. You loved us, even your enemies. You loved us and you called us and you gave yourself up for us. So we thank you for that today. Lord, thank you today that you are our authority. You rule and you reign. That right now you are seated in in victory, Lord. That the angels of heaven are surrounding you, worshiping you forever and ever and ever. You're not pacing the throne room. You're not pacing in heaven wondering how it's going to play out. You're not worried about it. You are large and in charge. You are seated in authority right now. The earth is your footstool. And so, Father, we look forward to the day where you return and all things are put under your feet. And we look forward to the day where death is finally gone, 
where decay is gone, where fractions and factions and tribes are, are dissolved, Lord, and we are one people under one name and one in one place together. And your, your, that the, the dwelling place of God and the dwelling place of man will be together. So God, we thank you for this great hope we have. We lift our, we lift our heads to that today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Are you thankful that we serve an overcomer? Amen.